the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 162 for August 4th, 2008. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm Dave. No, I'm Dave Hamilton. It's been a long night already. How are you, John? Fantastic. How are you, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. We have a lot to go through tonight. In fact, you know, if Pete, Pilot Pete, that is, were sitting here, he would force us to do like a 90 minute show tonight. But thankfully, Pilot Pete is on the road. He's uh, he's hidden in the background here, silently listening in. But uh, but he's not here able to. Exert too much influence over our time. That said, <laughs> we do have a lot to go through. And, uh, it, you know, I, I know we were talking about this before and we decided to turn the show around. So we're actually going to start the show with uh, cool stuff found and, and then go on to some follow ups from last week. And lastly, some some questions and comments and all of that good stuff. Do you have anything you want to say before we get started here, John, or is it time to just dive right in? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll tell my dog story later. Okay. All right, so uh, so starting with cool stuff found, we have Pat. Hey, John and Dave, this is uh, Pat up in Minnesota again. I just wanted to do a little uh, listener tip. Also, um, I just downloaded this new background deal called Earth Desk. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. It's uh, it makes your desktop change continuously throughout um, the day. It updates as long as or however distance times you want. Um, your satellite images show up on the desktop screen and you can watch the globe turn and everything. You got the light paths and everything like that. It's super cool, though it is uh, not free. Um, it's kind of easy to find a uh, software key. <laughs> so um, it's really cool. Definitely a good listener tip for everybody. All right. Thanks, John and Dave. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Pat. So uh, EarthDisk, I've seen it. Uh, I I don't run it here. It's one of those things that uh, anytime I ran it, I always was worried that it was taking up more CPU cycles than I could spare. Although these days, uh, that's probably not too much of a concern for me. So it it is. It's very cool. And and seeing the the globe sort of turn in real time, if you will, while you're looking at it is uh, is awesome. Yeah, I have a concern though. Yeah, go. I, I believe there was a, a hint at um, doing something that 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 is, is somewhat unethical, which is um, I, I think there was a suggestion that you could find find a code, not purchase a code. It's one of those try that- before you buy. Yeah, he did. You know, it's one of those try before you buy apps. I, it's shareware. It's I think it's twenty four ninety five for the app. Go ahead, download it. If you like it, just buy it. It's fine. You know, there's no reason to uh, to take money out of these people's pockets. So. We have to be good. Good, uh, yeah. And you know, I, I, to a certain extent, make make my living writing a software. So um, this is true. You know, if you find it useful, toss some, toss some, some money. I, yeah. I think it's the right thing to do. That's true of everything. You know, all this stuff that we mentioned. I, I don't think we have one piece of software that we're going to mention in this show that's more than like uh, forty bucks. You know. Uh, okay. Uh, so number two, and and I don't. This one might be more than forty bucks because I don't know the price off the top of my head, but Tom writes in and says, you had a call about a father who kept screwing up a Mac. And this was, I think in last week's show, Uh, you guys mentioned carbon copy cloner or super duper or even time machine as a solution so that the Mac could be restored easily. Super duper is great. I've used it for years, but perhaps even better for this solution 
is Deep Freeze from Pharonics. I set up a community Mac lab for kids a year or two ago, and Deep Freeze has been a great solution. I've had almost no problems due to kids messing with the systems. With each startup, each Mac is reset to its version state. User files and prefs are retained in a separate user modifiable partition. Probably know about Deep Freeze, but I thought I'd mention it. Yeah, I, I had heard about this. I, I honestly hadn't dug into it a whole lot. But uh, but yeah, the so what Deep Freeze does is it allows you to set a state. Uh, it It's actually there's a lot of different things that it can do. But uh, but what he's talking about is you freeze your system data so that each time you you reboot your system is unthawed is what they what they call it. Right. And mm-hmm. and and totally, you know, the way it was when you set it, not the way it was when you rebooted. And then your user data is always thawed and uh, and you're totally good to go. So uh, and and there's there's actually quite a few other things that Deep Freeze does as well. It obviously works on the Mac, but it's also available for Windows and Linux. And yep. I checked it out. It's uh, 45 bucks, which uh, okay, so. sounds pretty uh, pretty reasonable. Now, I guess an extreme solution to that problem is to do a full disk image of a machine and then every period of time restore the disk image. Of course, you're going to destroy user data. So right. people will have to, you know, provide their own, you know, and, and I think that's feasible. You could have a situation where you do that and then you maybe have a network server where you store data and stuff yeah. like that. So if you architect it that way, you you could do, you know, refresh every period of time a, a stable or known good disk image to a disk but that that it sounds like this product is is probably a better way to do that it sounds a lot simpler yeah very cool uh yeah okay. it's very similar oh, actually to uh, and this is one feature and actually I've, I've had to take advantage of this and probably you have had to also dave and this is where a tip of the hat to windows i hate to say it yep <laughs> no i don't but windows has a system restore functionality which i've had to use several times and there are just sometimes when windows just gets totally munged with something you've installed and you're like gee i wish i could go back and restore the key parts of the system like the registry and and all that stuff not the application data so so uh, i gotta say that i think the windows system restore facility does this thing properly it's the uh, i would say probably somewhat of an equivalent of deep freeze yeah yeah the windows system restore when i've used it it's worked fine yeah does it does real well so cool thanks tom and thanks pat for for earth desk okay so a number of shows ago i think probably six or eight shows ago someone wrote in and told us about a thing called dropbox at getdropbox.com. i've had the opportunity to check this out and it's very cool what it is is essentially it's like your iDisk in that it's cloud-based storage but it it syncs a local copy down to your computer now, that's cool, and, and it's great that this service is out there, but you can take it another step further. Um, first of all, the copy that's synced locally to your computer is just, it's just users, your, you know, your home directory, right? And then there's a Dropbox folder, and that's it. Uh, all, it, it, there's, it's just a copy of the data. There's no, each file is there individually. It's not like the iDisk where it's on some sparse bundle that, you know, needs to be backed up in a weird way. It's just there. It's stored in your home directory. Good to go. Um, the cool part is that I could set a folder in there, John, right? Where I, I could set up a folder for, um, you know, Mac Geek Cab. And then I could go and give you access to that folder, but not the rest of my Dropbox. And so anything I put in that folder, once you agree you know to access that folder anything i put in there is automatically in your dropbox in that folder and vice versa anything for 
uh, anything you put in there, I get. Uh, but, you know, you don't see anything else on my Dropbox. I don't see anything else on yours. So I could have a folder for family stuff that I share with, you know, say Lisa and my dad and my brother. And they don't see the Geek Cab stuff and you don't see the family stuff. And it's all this kind of custom built, uh, you know, semi virtual thing. My only complaint about it is there's no way to tell it don't sync. So if you happen to be on like a dial up connection, heaven forbid, and somebody in your family uploads a big Mondo picture or whatever, it's coming down. You know, you can I guess you can quit the app. Uh, the app sort of runs in the background, but it's very cool. It is invite only. Um, we have some invites and I know pilot Pete is actually saying he's got some invites too. So we probably have not a whole lot, maybe, uh, you know, 10 uh, between us that are, uh, that are free. So if you want it, uh, let us know. All I would ask is that, uh, if you, if you ask for it, please use it. And, uh, if you don't need to give all 10 of your invites away, let us know. And maybe we'll create a little geek cab network like we do with, uh, with Gmail low those many years ago because Dropbox okay. is a really cool thing. So and I guess another kind of one way thing of doing that would be to use like an, well, of course you pay if you pay for uh mobile me, I'm sorry, you could do a public folder and kind of, uh, kind of accomplish the, eh, this is way cooler. Yes. Way, way cooler. cooler. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, for the, for the cash strap people, you know, with today's it's, economy and it's all free. that. free. Oh, well, that's even better. So, so you got you got to be one of the cool kids to get an invite. Yeah, so, but, uh, but, but, but at some point yeah. they'll release it. Yeah, of course they will. Yeah, and and so the cool thing is you've got the you know the interface obviously in the Finder you know right on your Mac, but you've also got a web interface you can go to, and you can see a, a change log. So if you were to upload a file into our you know shared folder, John, it it would tell me that on the interface. And if you renamed a file or deleted a file, it would show that too. And then if if either one of us deletes something. We can go back and undelete it. And I'm not sure how long it lives out there. So, you know, know that the stuff lives. So if you're putting sensitive data up there, you know, I, I'm sure they've got a privacy policy that says they won't do anything bad with it. But anything that lives around can always come back to hurt you, even if. Well, I mean, you, know, you never know what's going to happen to that data. Right. I mean, they say they're going to protect it. Who knows? Right. So I just I, I, I throw that out there. Word to the wise. Got it. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got we got two more of these. We should we should go through these because these are good. All right, another one that I've been wanting to mention for weeks, and is probably the reason, along with Dropbox, that uh, I pushed to turn the show around and do cool stuff first, is one password. I know I've kind of mentioned it in passing. It's fantastic. I I'd heard about it. You know, uh, it's from Agile Web Solutions at agilewebsolutions.com. dot uh, I'd heard about this piece of software and thought, yeah, you know, but I've got Safari and it uh, it remembers my passwords and that's all good. I, I don't need something else. I don't want to have to migrate to something else. Dude, the day that I checked this thing out, I realized, oh, how wrong I've been. Mm-hmm. So uh, it what it does is. It, it's a password manager, OK, but but it's a password manager on Rails. It allows you to have it creates a separate keychain and everything that it uses is stored in the keychain which is nice because it can sync using mm. mobile me among all your macs what's cool is it's actually encrypted in your keychain so the only thing that can see it is one password and the way it works is this that keychain is locked separately from your your main keychain so you can say okay look uh i only want that keychain unlocked for an hour uh, and then you have to ask me to, to refresh. And what happens when you go to log into a website or something, 
you, you say, okay, log me in. And instead of typing the password for that website, you type your one master password into one password and boom, it unlocks it and fills it in for you. And it's totally smooth with the browser. You get a little custom menu, either in Safari or Firefox. It works with both of them. Uh, or you can, there's a keyboard shortcut to bring up the, the little one password menu and you can pick a login and, and down it goes really, really smooth. And the cool part is when you're logging in for the first time and creating an account on a new website, I know, mm-hmm. and I know I am totally, or was totally guilty of this. I would use a, a kind of a generic password that I always use that I'd used for 10 years because I didn't want to have to think about it. Well, what you do with one password is you type your username and then when it's time to enter your password, you go to one password and you say, and you can do it with a contextual menu or, you know, the, the, the built-in menu that it adds to Safari or Firefox. You say, generate me a secure password and it generates a unique password, auto fills it and then says, do you want to save this login and remember it the next time we come back? So you're totally good to go. And now they've got a, an iPhone app. So uh, I, I couldn't wow. possibly recommend it if, as if that wasn't an endorsement enough. Uh, I don't know how I could recommend it anymore. Wow. It sounds like keychain done properly. Yes. And cross browsers. So if you have to, you know, load something in Firefox, your passwords are all right there. It's keychain. I got to say, I mean, you know, when you compare to some other operating systems. Oh, it works oh, great. I'm in Windows bashing mode here. But anyways, I, I found keychain, even keychain alone is a pretty good concept to have one place where you can keep everything. But uh, yeah, these guys sound like they took it to the next level. They totally excellent. Did. Yeah. And I'm trying to see how much it is. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't write it down. It's free. Yeah. 30, 35 bucks. So there you go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Moving on. Rand. Randy wrote in, Randy wrote in with two things uh, and I'll do it uh, backwards in the order that we got them. So we got, uh, there's one thing called glims G L I M S from Mac hangout.com. And it's a Safari add-on. This thing, it, it you know, if uh, if one password is is you know keychain on Rails, this is uh, like the um, which what's that called? The developer menu, right? On Rails, it adds so many different features to Safari, many of which are actually handy. You know, there, there's lots of these utilities, and this is free, by the way. Uh, but you know, many of these utilities that you know that enhance Safari or whatever are crazy. But uh, I, I think this is pretty cool. It, one of the things I really like is it automatically opens all your last windows when you, after you quit Safari and relaunch. Um, you can have it auto-close the download window if you want. You can pick different search engines and have it auto-fill those uh, as you're doing it. Kind of like Saft used to, but this is free. Uh, have you can have it put uh, thumbnails in Google results. You can have it put the small icon, the, you know, the little website badge icon thing. You can have it put that in your tabs at the top. It, you, I think you can go full screen with it. You can also set a max window size so it doesn't go beyond, so the window isn't enlarged beyond where you want it to go. I, I think it's pretty cool. So nice. So a lot of these things, if if you're a, a command line guru, you can enable a lot of these features in uh, in Safari. And as Dave mentioned, the, the develop menu is probably your friend. You know, you have, well, I don't think you have to be that careful. But if you go to advanced and then show develop menu, the develop menu within Safari will let you do a lot of things like changing the user agent, which I've certainly, a uh, user agent being when your browser connects to a web server, it says, hi, I'm this brand of browser. And allegedly, 
if you uh, write your page properly, you can adapt to the browser coming to you and make things look nice. Right. Um, but they have a lot of other things, like we talked about the Web Inspector, Error Console. There's a whole pile of things in the development menu that uh, it's a start. But this, like Dave said, takes it to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. And okay. And then the next thing that he talked about, and he swears that this app did not exist before we uh, did our show last week, is uh, from at pariahware.com, uh, an app that they call Dictionary Editor. And what does it do? It allows you to remove entries to see your custom dictionary that we talked about last week, the, you know, the, your, your learned spelling dictionary, and then you can remove things from it or add things to it. So uh, so if, in fact, we did inspire the, the the creation of that, great. If we didn't, it doesn't matter. It's out there. It's great. Uh, and I, th- I know we have another listener who has created a, uh, a similar app and is about to uh, to release that, too. So so there'll be multiple options for everyone. It's all good. Anything to uh, to well, add? Did, uh, should uh, did we want to talk now or late? Because uh, well, I, I mean, we've had different experiences with messing with the dictionary and pulling things out. We have, and we and we've actually got uh, we, we've got uh, a, an audio comment about that. I guess we can we can play that now. That's fine. Let me uh, let me dig up that audio comment here. Hi, John and Dave. This is ADD Todd out of Utah. It's been, I don't know, two years or so since uh, my old G3 iBook bit the big one, shall we say. However, I did manage to get it up to uh, 10.4 before the screen went to south on me, or the screen backlight, I should say. As I recall it, in the auto spell, if you were to right-click, shift-right-click, control-right-click, alt-right-click, mac-right-click, or some combination thereof, on the word that you wanted to change in the auto-speller, you could actually edit or delete that word. And did anybody try that when you were doing your testing, or did you just do a Google search for uh, correcting the autocorrect words? Anyway, y'all have... Oh, yeah. Y'all have a good one. Keep having fun. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Actually, you know what? That was the first thing I tried. Since that's how you add a uh, a word to the mm-hmm. autospeller, I assume that that's how you would pull one out. And I could not do it. And uh, the and key I, was the key was you and I were doing it in different places, Dave. I think. Yeah. So here's the thing. I always, you know, I've always got Mail open, and Mail is a uh, you know Cocoa app. And so I figured, okay, great. You know, it's going to let me add to the thing. I can, I can add a word to the auto, you know, spell corrector there. Uh, and so I did that with the right click and, and it added it just fine. And then I couldn't find a way to pull it out because in mail, when you right click on a, a word that's in that custom dictionary, there is no unlearn spelling option. But as John pointed out, there is one in text edit so i thought you were insane i'm like you know i'm already clicking on it and it says you know unlearn spelling yep so uh, now it's weird because as far as i can tell text edit and mail are accessing the same system level spelling they database are. if you will yeah but yeah. apparently maybe either it's a bug in one or the other app probably mail or it's just the way they chose to access the spelling api where they just didn't for whatever reason, which I can't imagine, they didn't want to make that available to you. So that's very weird. So, so I'm glad you and I talked about it because you're well. What app are you using, John? Oh, text edit versus mail. So, yep, 
maybe that's a hidden little it, bug that we should uh, tell our friends at Apple. About. It's bizarre that that you can learn spelling there, but not unlearn. I I don't know. I don't. Uh, so use text edit and yeah, that'll text edit. Perhaps, you can pull it out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Or you can use uh, that that thing at Pariahware that that Randy just mentioned. So. All right, uh, we are done with cool stuff found almost, and that is uh, except for because <laughs> it ties in because it, it, we're we're talking about our first sponsor, which is Spy, Smile on my Mac, and of course Text Expander, which is another cool app that uh, I don't know how I could live my days without it. Uh, like like I said for one password, you know, I thought life was fine until I started using it, and then I realized how wrong I was. So Text Expander allows you to save snippets of text. Uh, and you configure them in a little preference pane, and then you come up with a shortcut uh, that allows you to automatically call upon that text. It's like pasting it in from the clipboard, except it can be whatever you've predefined it to be. For example, uh, you know, in my email, uh, my my signatures, I've got them right there, and so I I type you know, uh, comma sig, and boom. Uh, down goes my email signature, ready to go. Uh, and of course, I've got custom ones, and they're totally, you know, whatever I want to have. When I'm prepping the show, I've got some uh, things that need to go in the HTML in the uh, in the TMO article system here, and I've got you know the the teaser for for Mac Geek Gab that pulls the image in. I type comma mggt, and boom, the HTML for that magically appears, and I'm good to go. Uh, you can also put in Apple scripts. Uh, you can put uh, uh, variable characters in that that'll pull the various things uh, like date or time. And you can even have it uh, correct typos. So if you, if you constantly mistype or misspell a word when you type, well, you put the misspelling in as the trigger and then you put the correct word in as the, uh, as the thing you're going to paste in. And it just, as you're typing along, you misspell the word, bam, it fixes it and you just keep on going. So this is text expander from smile on my Mac. And uh, there is a free trial, of course. And after the trial, if you figure out you like it, it's twenty nine ninety five US, and they have a ninety day money back guarantee. So you can't uh, wow. you can't beat it. Oh, and it syncs with with uh, with Mobile Me. So if you've got multiple machines, edit your uh, snippets on one, and boom, it's on it. It's everywhere. So you gotta love it. Smile on my Mac. Text expander. And thank you for your sponsorship. Okay. And after that happy news, maybe I could go into a little tale of woe. You go. Okay. So tale of woe. Well, I had a, a several. <laughs> but anyways, this one is about email. So as as most of you know, I still I'm a I'm a hardcore Eudora fan. Of course, they're not updating it anymore. I think there is going to be a replacement someday. But I came to the point where I think you may have Dave also uh, at, at points in time where Eudora um, sometimes the files get corrupted, and I knew. Something was wrong because I open up Eudora. There is a column in the uh, inbox or whatever mailbox you're in that shows the status of a message. And I started seeing little question marks next to a message. It basically means I'm confused. That's of course, bad. opening them. Now, Eudora, at least the way I have it set up, maintains, though it, it, I, I don't think it's important, but it maintains one file for a mailbox and one for the table of contents in the mailbox. You can also combine the two so you have the data and references to the data in the same file, but I don't think it mattered here. So anyways, things were bad because I would open a message with a question mark and some of them were recent messages. I don't know what caused this. It was, I shut down my machine the wrong way or there was just a little hiccup on the heart. I don't know what caused it. So, um, I would open a message and even though the title, you know, the, the, you know, the sender and the title 
were accurate or so it seemed. The contents were a mess. It was just like, oh, man, what do I do? And then I'm like, oh, wait, I have time machine and time capsule. So what I did in this case is that in, in the case of Eudora, if I go to documents, Eudora folder, mail folder, within that is a file for one for the mailbox itself. You know, like the in is probably the most active where all your in mail comes. And then there's a TOC file, table of contents file. So fired up time machine, you know, basically looked at the time and date stamp on those files. These are the last time they were updated, then went to time machine, selected that folder, selected those files in the time machine backup, found one that was prior enough where I assumed it was correct. And and the, the wonderful thing, of course, is Time Machine. You know, Dave and I sometimes go on about what the heck is it backing up all the time? You know, I don't know what the heck it is. But in this case, it was great because the day before it had, you know, or many hours before it had backed up those files, retrieved them, start up Eudora. Everything was great. And then also because I use Spamfire, which is kind of a spam proxy. So I restored myself to a state where some messages were lost. But because I use Spamfire, and maybe you could do this with, IMAP or something. I'm not sure. Depending on how you're configured. But basically, I was able to mark messages in Spamfire and say, okay, these messages, please mark them as uh, unretrieved. And so the next time I ran Eudora, retrieve them, everything was great. So that's my success story about Time Machine. If And when you were Eudora, using Eudora, Dave, I don't know if you ever ran into that, but it's, I think it it just happens maybe to any mail app, you know, the files, I mean, it's, you know, it's storing a whole bunch of data in one big monster file and sometimes it gets confused. Yeah, I, I remember that there was that option about uh, storing the talk files separately or, or together. And I seem to remember there's something in the help that advised me not to store them separately to store them together. Okay. And and I think the reason for that was when you store them together, Eudora creates what are almost standard uh, MBOX files that can then be read by anything. And the good news for that was oh. when I wanted to, you know, try out a new mail client, I could just point it at my Eudora mail store and it was like, oh, yeah, it's a you know hierarchy of mailbox of MBOX files. Boom, we'll pull it in. No problem. So, uh, so yeah, I always stored as, as just the, the straight inbox files. And when I say they're almost standard inbox files, the one thing that Eudora does that is not standard is as it pulls messages in, if there's an attachment, it breaks the attachment off from the message, saves it statically in, uh, you know, in a Eudora downloads folder, and then stores just the message without the attachment in the, in the inbox file, which is non-standard in a way so that but otherwise they're totally standard inbox files they just don't have any attachments so okay my only head scratcher is that also within that same week i had time machine at one point say whoa dude you're about to run out of disk space i'm going to start purging old backups and i'm like huh so i connected the the backup drive and and it said i had 833 of 929 megabytes available so it did i don't think it purged anything but uh, getting that error message was wait how how much did it have available i have 833 of 929 megabyte uh, gigabytes i'm sorry uh, available on that Eight, volume so. 833 megabytes of 9.29 gigabytes is that right no no 929 uh, 833 of 929 so there's oh. plenty of space available yeah Huh. What I'm saying is that the majority of the drive is 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 available, so I don't know why it tossed up that error message. It was just like, huh? Huh. That's weird. I, you know, there, there's strange things that happen, though, because when I, you know, at times, like with Dropbox, right? We mentioned that before. Um, 
once I realized I wanted to use this on a semi-regular basis, uh, I decided, you know, I don't need to keep a backup of this data because I'm not storing anything important out there right now. And it's also backed up in the cloud. So, you know, I, I was OK with that level of of, uh, of fault tolerance, if you will. So I went and excluded it from my time machine backups. And then I went into time machine, highlighted the uh, the the folder and chose, you know, remove all backups of this folder. And uh, and my space available on my time machine volume it crunched and it you know it certainly deleted all that stuff but my space available didn't change so i you know i know time machine we've talked about how it uses those hard links and all that there's something funky going on with how it's managing free space but again remember these are all you know on the time capsule these are disk images in uh you know on the one disk image for each computer so I think I think maybe that's where the the disconnect is. So perhaps you've got something of that going on. Although you know, eight thirty three of nine something that that doesn't seem to make any sense. I don't I don't get it. Um, so I, you know, who who knows? But who knows? Uh, mm. Okay. So last week we talked about uh, we had an email from Stuart. And he talked about a friend of his who was having some problems with their teenager. Uh, I think it was their teenage son uh, was able to get admin access on their computer, regardless of whether or not they changed the password. Now, uh, we got some comments about this because there was a logical assumption that we missed or we made and, and missed. And you want to talk about what that what that logical assumption was, John? Well, I guess the, the, the thing was, is that so we provided a solution to prevent it from happening in the future. But I guess what we didn't address was if he changed the password, how could the parents then get back in? Right. So the, the, the there, we, we demonstrated that there's an ability for one to change the password if you have a boot CD and the machine's not protected against that. But so I, I think we kind of glossed over that. Then there may have been it, something it, happening that wasn't in the email that 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 we missed. So I'll admit we we kind of blew past that. Yeah. Okay. And in in the interest of not blowing past again, I just want to explain very briefly. uh, The parents have an admin account. They've given the teenage son a non admin account. And yet the teenage son has been able to get admin access, despite the fact that the parents changed the account password. What what John is saying is that if the son were to have compromised their account, then they wouldn't have been able to get in. And that's what uh, many of you wrote in and said. And that's what we missed last week. So maybe it was like, oh, son, there's something wrong with the computer. Could you fix it? And then he sneakily. So I'm thinking a little social engineering here. Uh, probably they probably would have known that. Right. Well, as you pointed out, <laughs> it this depends. That, well, they're savvy enough to to write to. Well. well, it was through a friend of a friend. So maybe something got lost in the. Right. Yeah. But we don't know. Okay. Anyways, moving on. So assuming it wasn't social engineering and tricking the parents out of the password, uh, we have we have a couple of emails and 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 we'll highlight uh, we'll highlight two of the the common threads. So George writes in uh, if the kid had access to the account, he could have planted a keystroke logger. That's true. Uh, But what he also could have done was create a hidden account. Uh, and this is possible in 10.5 and I think later builds of 10.4. And what ha- what it does, and he, he George sent us a link to a Mac OS 10 Hints article that describes using uh, 
a terminal command called DSCL, which is Directory Services Command Line Utility. And what it does is it allows you it. The hint walks through the steps of manually creating this user account. And the one thing uh, that, it, you know, make sure that you're totally it, an admin and all of that stuff. And the system will totally let you log in. So, it, it you know, and it's hidden in that it's not in the the list uh, when you go to log into the computer. There, there's no uh, there's no listing there. There is a listing for other uh, which is a telltale sign that some other account m- is probably active. Uh, but then there's actually some instructions in the hint on how to uh, turn that off as well. So that's uh, that that that's certainly a possibility here, John. I, you know, I, I have my doubts as to he would again, he would have had to do this before uh, he lost admin access to the machine. Uh, but, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, so I'm with you on that. Now, some of the, uh, now let me ask you though, if if you want to detect this, so so it sounds like there are certain ways to create an account and then screen the fact that the account exists from many of the places in the OS where you would expect to see the account listed, like the login screen. Right. Um, now, it, and I, and I would assume, Dave, I think the accounts screen. That's correct. Yeah. Right. So system preferences accounts will show you all the accounts on the system. Right. Except, or maybe only the visible ones, right? It, well, yeah, that's that's right. There, there is a uh, the trick uses a hidden users list parameter uh, that you can control from the command line and, and presumably some other places, but definitely from the command line, and it allows you to specify certain users that are not shown in that list. What you can do, though, and and there is a uh, there's a comment that will point to uh, in that article that talks about removing everything from that hidden users list parameter and then everything will appear. So the parents could do that. See if there's a, a, a hidden account and, and then yes, go in and, and delete it in the account system preference pane. So now I'm wondering if, if you go into the terminal, which is kind of scary sometimes and you yes. go to the users directory, I would think normally if you go to users and do a LS dash a, I guess you will see all the users on that machine. You could even if, do that in the finder, right? Right. Yeah, if you dig down in there, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so in theory, it would show up here too. But uh, if the user, while creating this account, sets the home directory to somewhere other than slash users, then it's a no go. You'd have to know where to look, and uh, you know, it could it could be anywhere. You can pretty much set within certain parameters. Uh, you can set pretty much anywhere as a home directory in Unix. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it it all depends on how good the kid was, if, in fact, this is what he did. But then this is this is certainly possible, but it's a stretch. Uh, it, are we done with this particular issue? Because if we are, I'll, I'll go on to, to Michael, which is yeah. the, the Occam's razor solution, I'll call it, because uh-huh. it's, you know, the, the simplest path here. And what Michael wrote is uh, he said, I just wanted to comment on the teenager accessing his parents admin account. First, are we talking root access? And I, I think we are. We're talking a privileged account. It seems to me that ordinary users don't enable root on Macs and use their accounts or a separate account 
to perform administrative duties. Assuming this remains the case in this situation, if this teenager managed to access his parents' admin account just once, he would have had the opportunity to enable root without their knowledge. This would create the described unlimited access this teen has acquired, and obviously no amount of changing passwords on the ordinary user admin accounts would have an effect, nor would he need to know said passwords. And I think that's probably what happened here. You know, back in the days when the kid had access, he created, he enabled the root user, set the password, and he's been golden ever since. The place to check for this is, uh, what's that utility? I think it's, is it? Uh, Director utility? That's the one. Thank you. Yes. And uh, and I, I think in the edit menu there, there is enable, and if it's enabled, disable root user. And, th- and that's where you're going to see it. So I think that's in the, it's not in the applications folder. It's in applications utilities, right, John? Yes. Okay. That's correct. Okay. So that's another one. Now, going a little farther out again, depending on how savvy our, our you know, friend is here. And, you know, heck, I, I remember what you and I did, Dave, when we oh, were yeah. young. And, uh, and some of it, our, our parents had no clue what the heck we were doing. And that's I, right. I think we got clever sometimes. Um, we won't go into detail. <laughs> no, not too much. <laughs> but um, so one option, which I know these exist, um, they have hardware key loggers. This is a device you plug into a keyboard, be it USB, PS2, whatever type of protocol. It will happily collect all keystrokes. And at some point, you basically pull it out of the loop. You run a special utility. You suck the data out of it. You have a whole bunch of probably, for the most part, useless data. But every now and then, you may have a password. And actually, I've seen some keyboards, you know, off-brand keyboards that have this ability built in as well. So... He may be doing that. So basically, check the keyboard, check the computer. If there's anything there that looks weird, get rid of it. <laughs> now, the other more, uh, more you know, unlikely, but hey, who knows, um, uh, is that uh, a lot of devices, I mean, computers are, are electronic devices and they use RF. So um, there is a way. Um, I've heard of a couple of things. So one is that they actually do have, I think, a, a standard for electronic equipment called Tempest, I believe it is, which is basically shielding. So a lot of devices, including monitors, and I've heard of this, where if you've got the right type of receiver and you're near a monitor that's displaying data or a keyboard that's emitting RF because it is an electronic device, you can pick up the little chirps and all sorts of other RF you know, data that they generate and map it to actual data. Um, even more interesting, and I've heard of this attack, though I find it kind of unlikely, but hey, you know, somebody's looked into this. You could pick up the audio on the keyboard, where each key may have a characteristic. If you've profiled the keyboard, each key may have a characteristic audio signature, and you can tell. And I, I think they got, you know, 80, 90% accuracy using this, this method. Um, yeah, when you think about it, I mean, I guess every key, if you have a sharp enough monitoring device, makes a slightly different sound. And if you you know, had a profiler again. Um, it could be a uh, could be interesting. So, um, wow. Yeah, and as Pete and as Pete said here, yeah, he's he's reaffirming. Lots of devices spew out all sorts of RF, and so a lot of you know secure installations, uh, military and and you know three letter agencies, they'll have lead lined rooms, so the RF is never getting out. Isn't it eighty to ninety percent from the noise of a keyboard? Now you'd have to profile that keyboard in advance, I would think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. 
But even but you still, think about it, I mean, based on the mechanical construction yeah, of the key and it's going to have different echo and and and, uh, yep. and maybe the person. So you may have to profile it to the person. So maybe, you know, a person has a certain typing style. So this person on this keyboard, when you hear this sound in all likelihood, they're hitting this key. Now, that that's way out. I, I doubt. I highly doubt. Though, if he is doing this, hey, that'd be pretty cool. If the kid's doing this, he deserves his way in. <laughs> but the RF thing is, again, you, you need some dough to do that sort of thing, to, to pull the RF signals. Um, I'd go for the key. My best guess is, a, a, I would say, a key logger may be part of this, a hardware key logger. You think that's... They are out there. They're pretty cheap. And unless you know what to look for, you know, you put it in there, you wait a few days, take it out. Nobody knows. Right. Yeah, I guess you think you think that's more uh, likely than than him simply having enabled the root user. Uh, I don't know the person. So okay, but this is true. if I were to want to snag someone's password, that's assuming you could sneak into the place you want to get into. That's that's what I do. What if he's figured out? I don't know. A place in the house to uh, to simply watch his parents. You know, when I when I uh, I was thinking video surveillance as well. Yeah, you know? when I when I was a consultant and doing a lot of that, there were a lot of times on people's computers. And I, I know I've, I know I've got some clients that listen to this show, so I hope this doesn't bother you. But look, you know, there were a lot of times, especially with Macs running OS ten, but but even Windows machines. Every time you reboot, you know, if they had a password, you need to type it in. And there were some clients that you know for whatever reason didn't want to share their password. Well, almost without wanting to, uh, I would I was able to watch somebody type and pretty much know what they typed. And uh, and and then that way, if they were in the room, I'd ask them to type their password. But if they were far and gone somewhere out for lunch and I was working on their machine, I would know their password. And and I got very, very good at at just watching people type and and seeing their passwords. The good news for those of you who are our clients out there is most of the time. I could not remember that password unless I was back in that room at your mm-hmm. computer. It was very bizarre. You know, I'd have people call me and they'd say, gosh, you know, you set this thing up for me a year and a half ago. Do you remember the password? And, and, and I, you know, usually I wouldn't. And I'd have to say to them, okay, describe the room. And I'd close my eyes and they'd start describing the room and I'd hear their voice, you know, and it was, it would all sort of bring it back to me. And then bam, I'd say, okay, yeah, now I know the password and here it is, you know, but I, I would, I would really have to kind of get in the environment to have that come back. But that's a tangent on the fact that yeah. if he's got some spot in the house from which he can monitor either visually himself or, you know, with a camera or whatever, uh, that, you know, then he could watch you type and, Boom, you're, you know, it's over. Yeah. And what you described uh, uh, used to be, and I think still is called shoulder surfing. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is basically looking over somebody's shoulder. And especially if you're a touch typist, which I think we both are, Dave. Right. Right. Um, you can probably get pretty. And I've done this, too, sometimes when you know, yeah. I'm helping someone at work or wherever. You know, I can glance and I'd be like, oh, OK, I saw a few characters and I can probably, you know, depending on. How complex it is. You may be sure. able to make an educated guess of what the password is. Not that I, I do that to my friends. So Right. Well, it happens. Just my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm usually not in the same room with them looking over their shoulder, watching them log into their computer. So. Exactly. Right. Moving on. Moving on. Our second sponsor is Yazsoft with Speed Download 5. Now, what Speed Download is, is it's a download manager for your browser. And what it does, it does actually a whole bunch of things. First of all, it replaces the download window with this uh, with this little download floater, they call it. 
And it's got all sorts of different options. You can stop the download. You can restart the download. You can live throttle the bandwidth. So if you've got a big download coming in and you don't want it to use up every last ounce of, uh, of bandwidth that you've got, you can kind of throttle it back and just let it sort of pour in in the background while still being able to surf without any uh, really noticing that the, the download's happening at all. Uh, you can click to reveal in the finder. You can see estimated time left. Customize your background colors, uh, and it'll even show you the, the the download rate, so you've got a good picture of of what's going on. It will. Uh, it's got a built-in FTP client, uh, so it can pull files down from an FTP server, and it's got encrypted file sharing. So, John, if you have uh, speed download and I have it, uh, we can totally share files back and forth, and uh, and it integrates with the iDisk, uh, so you can. Access your iDisk with speed download, upload, pull things back, no problem. It's uh, it's available, of course. There is the free trial, and you can get it for uh, for twenty five bucks uh, US if you like it. Uh, so that's speed download from Yazsoft, definitely worth checking out. Uh, if you download even just a moderate amount of things, I think you'll uh, you'll appreciate checking that out again at Yazsoft. Y A Z soft.com free trial 25 bucks if you like it i think it's time john to talk about uh mobile me again we've gotten a lot of questions about this um and some comments too so i I think it's time to uh perhaps hear from chad sure all right let's see if i can find chad see i was buying time there here we go chad hi guys chad and denver Calling in, uh, listening to show 159, where you're kind of ranting about uh, mobile me, and I've got a question, or perhaps a rant of my own, uh, really more for a friend. Uh, it's a friend who's got a Mac, uh, has a .dot Mac account, uh, and for her profession, she is a emergency room nurse, very uh, highly regarded profession there. Uh, but when she checks her mail from work, she uses one of the various uh, Windows PCs uh, scattered around the ER. Uh, and she used to just log in, and because it is a fairly large hospital, uh, it has its own IT staff, and they have specific rules over what applications are on the computers. And if you want to browse the web, it's Internet Explorer. Worked just fine with .Mac. Uh, since they have gone to MobileMe and apparently changed over their, uh, their engine, uh, she can no longer log in unless she downloads Safari uh, to that machine, installs it, and then checks it. Well, every couple uh, days, the IT department automatically wipe all the machines in the ER uh, and replace them with an image that doesn't have Safari on it. So apparently, the at least the version of IE that she's using uh, doesn't support MobileMe. Um, so maybe you can help out. Is this a Safari-only thing? Uh, or what has changed, at least in the webmail application, uh, that prohibits her from being able to log in anymore unless she's on a Safari browser? Thanks. Okay. Uh, yeah. So because of some of the uh, Ajax Web 2.0 ish features that they added to mobile me that were different uh, from the web interface for dot Mac, IE six is completely unsupported and IE seven. Uh, when you go to log in, it says, uh, you know, you're not going to get the best experience, but it'll let you log in and you can at least get your mail. Uh, Firefox and Safari are the best options uh, for this. Now, for your friend there, Chad, uh, MobileMe mail, in addition to being accessible from the MobileMe website or me.com website, 
Uh, it's also accessible via pop or IMAP from any email client. Now, obviously, she can't install an email client, but she could go to mail to web and that's mail the number two and then web dot com and log into her mobile me account via pop. And that will work fine. I, I know it works in IE6 uh, um, and it works in IE7 as well. I used it in IE6 many times to access my mail. So it's possible uh, to get the mobile me mail. She won't get the full mobile me experience because she's using the mail to web interface. But at least she's going to be able to log in and uh, and check her mail without having to install Safari or Firefox every couple of days. So that 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 would be my 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 best advice to anybody that that needs to uh, to do that. Uh, uh, on the other hand, knowing corporate IT groups, yes, if this is something that they don't want to happen and they start detecting people trying to sneak around to do things that they don't want you to do, like it sounds like there's an effort here to check personal email at work. Um, they, she, he didn't say that. He said they just don't want people installing other browsers, but it seems like they're fine to use uh, Internet Explorer. That, that's what she's been doing for years, right? Mm. Okay. So in that case, hey, you may want to find one of the geeks buried in the, you know, <laughs> the IT department and say, could you please add this browser to... Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking that, you know, that... that the, the activity may be thought of as, as, as unusual. It may raise a flag somewhere saying, Oh, look what this person is doing. Why are they going to this site and doing this and that? So, you know, get one of the geeks, take them out to lunch, say, Hey, by the way, you know, I like this mobile me thing. And, uh, can you, can you add Safari or Firefox to the list of browsers <laughs> that, um, that are approved? And especially now, I mean, I've been hearing good things about Firefox. Firefox is getting more and more share, um, as time moves on, I think a lot of people are, you know, having issues with IE and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, um, now the other thing is depending on the browser, um, I'm not sure does IE because so one thing, yeah, we were talking about before is that, um, you know, a user agent, uh, a browser, when it comes to a website says, Hey, I'm here, here's the browser I have here. Now I don't know by default if IE lets you modify the user agent. I think you may have to do something funky to, to enable that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know what you're going for here because sometimes with Safari, if you change, if you go to a site that requires IE and you just change Safari, if you enable the develop menu uh, in the advanced preferences, I think, and uh, yes. and change the user agent to IE, then in some cases, not all, but in some cases, the site will function perfectly fine, you know, and it's just sensing for the type of browser, and then you know, totally eliminating anything but. Those, you know, 100% known good quantities. I, I'm going to have to go ahead and defend Apple on this one. And and the reason is twofold. One, they're using some capabilities for the uh, me.com website that IE6 specifically doesn't support. <sighs> and, uh, you know, an IE6 needs to be retired. We need to shoot that thing about 15 to, we need to be well, killed until dead. IE six is the bane of all web designers existence. Well, no, I died because here's the problem. Like for example, at my nine to five, we have something, um, we have a SAP based, uh, system. If mm -hmm. you've dealt with SAP and it is very specific. We are not, we, you know, is it's for HR functions. Okay. IE seven will not work. This site is married to IE6. Terrible. 
if you try to use any other browser, and this actually has me shaking my fist because, I mean, to, to code a page to a specific browser to me is just bad yes. development practice. Yes. yes. So we, we were specific. I mean, we are, I think they even blocked the downloading of IE7 to people's machines, which wow. normally would happen with the software update, because if you ran it, you all of a sudden would not be able to access your HR page, which right. uh, is, is, uh, is bad. So, um, and Pete's saying, I guess they're on. So a lot of places I think have, have, avoided seven because it breaks apps that were tied to six so only because six was broken to begin with agreed i i totally agree with you it was broken but people coded to the broken browser absolutely yeah so i agree with you in a perfect world everybody should get to a more you know standards-based browser but then you know if you got to hire a bunch of people to recode everything or you know beat sap over the head and say hey guys can you recode this and they'll you know charge you lots of money so it's a it's a murky it it there's a lot of facets to this. So, um, again, I think I'd recommend try to get the IT folks to include Safari or Firefox in part of the standard installation. Yep. I think that may be worth trying. Yep. Hey, I you, agree. May be, you may make a new friend. That's um, right. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, where are we here? All right. Rick. Rick says, I've been having a problem with MobileMe, I think. I have two machines syncing with MobileMe. Whenever I add a new iCal event on one Mac, it shows up on my MobileMe calendars when I sync. When I sync the second Mac, the event does not show up on the second Mac and is summarily removed from the MobileMe calendars. I talked to the people at the Apple Store, and they said I need to reset sync data. When I went home, I was confused. Should I do this on both, both Macs or only one? The person said I need to change the direction of the arrow from the computer to the cloud and implied that this was a permanent change. Okay, I I know we've talked about this before, and I, I I've sort of glossed over the uh, the the process before when we've when we've done this, John. But but this does happen where mobile me kind of gets in a in a funk. So what you do, and uh, and John, you're gonna you're gonna help me walk through this here. So the idea is you decide which Mac is God, right? And and I use that term in a very non-religious sense, right? Uh, the authority. There you go. The, which the boss? Which Mac is the boss, right? Which data is the date? This data set that you want to keep. You have to pick one. You can't say oh, I want both. Nope. You pick one. And if you need data from the other, well, manually enter it or, or or something. But get one Mac into a state that you can live with as a foundation, and then you go into System Preferences, Mobile Me, Mobile Me, Sync. Yep. Advanced. And when you go to advanced, you have to sit there and wait a bit like I'm doing right now. But then you will go, get all the computers that are registered with the service. If it's if not click, syncing, though, you don't have to wait. I think you can still click the reset sync data button at the bottom. Is that is that what it's called? Reset sync data? Yes. Okay. So what I see, and I don't know if that's per machine. I'm going to think it's, oh, no, no. Okay, no. maybe it's not. But anyways, that button is, so it's kind of buried. It's not obvious that, that you know, this is where you go to do that. But yeah, if you if you take that path, you'll get to a reset sync data Click on it, and then yeah, as pointed out, they will have uh, you know various options here for for resyncing. Right, and so for for Rick, what I would do, data. yeah, is point the arrow from change it from the cloud from Mobile Me to your Mac. Change that so that it's from Mac to Mobile Me. And at this point, unless you want to do all of your sync data, I would click the little drop down menu and choose calendars. And when you click sync, it's going to say. Are you sure you want to replace data on mobile me with data from your Mac? 
Make sure that's what it says and not the other way around. Um, but, you know, make sure that's what it says and then do it. Only do this on the one machine and it'll go through a sync process. When that's done, go to the other Mac and tell it to sync. Almost immediately, it's going to come up and say the data has been reset on mobile me. Do you want to how do you want to deal with this? And you'll have an option to merge or replace because of the problems Rick's been having. I highly recommend replace. And what that'll do is it'll replace the data on your computer with the data from mobile me, which in theory should be the data from your original, you know, authoritative Mac. And now you're in sync and now you can make changes in both places and they should sync around to the cloud and to each machine and life should be happy and good and all of that. Right. I'm with you. Okay. That's good. We have time for Pedro or are we, uh, do we, how are we running here? here? We're at 56 minutes and 19 seconds. I think we've got time for Pedro. Pilot right. would be proud. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, okay. Let me find Pedro here. Hi, Dave and John. This is Pedro from Mexico. I love your show. I have actually two questions. And uh, the first one is, I guess, more directly to Dave because uh, when you appeared at the Mac Roundtable, episode number 42, uh, Dave, you mentioned that you use iDisk on that Mac uh, to sync all your computers, um, well, the, your, your documents and all your Mac Macs that you have. And I was wondering if you could explain or teach a little bit more about that because I tried to do it today and um, I got a little scared because I don't know how exactly to do it. I also want to uh, think uh, and use a new mobile me to sync all my documents in. I have a um, Mac, um, MacBook Pro and, uh, and an iMac. So I want to sync both of the documents to be the same in both of them using mobile me and IDIS. Could you please explain a little bit more in more detail how to do this? And the second question is uh, for any of you guys. Uh, I remember in the past you, you, you have talked a lot about the Linksys routers. I have one router, uh, which is the WRT54G. The version is 1.1. And here are the preferences of mobile me is that uh, back to my Mac is not working properly because it requires a router that supports NAT port mapping or universal plug and play. Make sure your router supports one of these protocols and that is enabled. Well, uh, the, I don't really know what that means. Uh, what I did is I, um, what I tried to do is to update the firmware of the the router that I have, I did that, but the uh, error still is still there. So I was wondering if you could also uh, help me out. Do I need another router for back to my Mac to work, or can I do something to this uh, router that I, that I have? Um, you can reach me at my email. All right, I will. Uh, I'll take the first one, John. You take the second one. Go. Okay. Uh, so for iDisk syncing, the process is this. You go into System Preferences, you go to Mobile Me or Dot .Mac on your Tiger machine, choose iDisk, and then at the bottom, Enable Syncing, and choose Automatically. What this is going to do 
is create a local copy of your iDisk and it's in the home library slash file sync folder, if I'm not mistaken. Once that's done, uh, and you'll see in the finder, there'll be next to your iDisk, there'll be a little uh, kind of spinning arrows logo. Let that finish. If there's anything on your iDisk, it will have been copied to your Mac. So once that's done, copy all of your documents from your documents folder or wherever you have them on your Mac and copy them up to your into. I, I actually created a folder inside my documents folder on my iDisk. So iDisk has a documents folder inside the documents folder. I made a folder called Dave's files. And then inside that I put all my stuff. Then I dragged that Dave's files folder to the sidebar of my finder. So I have a shortcut to get to my Dave's files folder on my iDisk in the finder. So I don't have to dig iDisk documents, Dave files. It's all right there. Once I've, once I did that, then I took uh, everything that was in my documents folder and I archived it off on a DVD and then deleted it. So the, it only exists in one place on my Mac and that is inside my iDisk. And then of course, on the DVD and I actually made two DVDs cause just in case, cause I like you, Pedro was, was, I was a little scared. Uh, then once you've got that in place, it's going to take a while depending on how many documents you have to upload all that to the iDisk. But once those, once you've got the copy done and then the, uh, the iDisk spinning arrows stop, you know, you're good to go. You've got all your stuff up on the iDisk, then go to your other Mac and perform the same steps in system preferences, system preferences, mobile me, iDisk enable syncing and choose auto. It's going to spin as it pulls everything down and then you're done. One piece of advice. If one of those machines is a laptop or, and you're traveling or really if there's any reason to tell that you want to tell it not to sync, uh, do not turn off iDisk syncing. Instead, just change it from auto to manual and just don't click the sync button. And uh, and that should keep you in uh, in in good shape. That's what I do. And it's been working great for me for probably almost a year now. So there, uh, there you go. So that, that, that's me, uh, John, as far as his router, now he's got the default Linksys firmware on there and back to my Mac's not working. And we know it uses UPnP universal plug and play. And, uh, we know that the Linksys router supports that, but, and we also know that back to my Mac is the flakiest thing Apple's ever released ever. So he might chase his tail forever and never solve this, but perhaps there's some answers. I think there is an answer. So, so the one thing I was just uh, reminiscing here is that I actually did a little uh, Mac gadget back in December 2003 on the WRT54G. Okay. It's been around for a while. Yep. Um, and the early versions... So now the good news is that, um, is that uh, Pedro's... Uh, he, he says he has version 1.1. If he indeed has version 1.1, then he is in luck. And that's actually probably quite a valuable unit because... Um, I'm looking here, you know, Wikipedia has a thing, we'll link to it. But the early versions had a lot of RAM and a lot of flash. Maybe not a higher processor, um, but they had enough RAM and flash to enable you to use something which is a favorite of mine. Well, when I was using the Linksys, I'm not now. I'm I'm pretty much exclusively Apple. But the DD-WRT firmware um, installs nicely on the 1.1 WRT54G base station. And uh, it has support for a lot of advanced features, NAT, UPnP, universal plug-and-play, stuff like that. Um, the newer versions, unfortunately, tend to have less RAM and flash, and and it, it's a more dangerous process to update the firmware. 
So in that case, I'd say, you know, pop on over to GDWRT, pop, pop that firmware in there, and I think you'll have better results. The, the one thing I like about, and I, I still run a, 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 this, a similar router. It's the GS, but it's version 1.0, so it has all the RAM that Pedro's has. As that On the UPnP screen, you get a lot of data. It tells you what, uh, what's been set, and sometimes you can even tell what application has set it. So you should be able to see entries made there by, uh, you know, by your your yes. Mac to my Mac. I've and, seen that too. Yeah, and it, usually it, it's it's named in a way that you can identify who created the rule. Right. Right. So it, it, I I like that firmware version two point four just came out in May. Uh, they just updated it. Uh, I think a week ago in July. It's got some it's got some cool monitoring features now with version 2.4 that are that are uh, pretty slick. So uh, I, I highly recommend it. And it'll it'll give you the best chance you'll ever get at making back to my Mac work. But again, this is something that, eh, you know, doesn't work so well. It's not the uh, it, it's definitely not Apple's uh, Apple's finest work. So. That is what Don't it is. Don't blame Apple. Could be the internet, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Or the router. Okay. Somebody's router out there is misconfigured. That's it. It's just one router that's broken, right? That's right. <laughs> Apple should talk to the Skype people and and figure that out because they've totally figured out how to you know traverse firewalls without any issues at all. And our our current conversation with me here in uh, in in uh, in Durham behind you know my WRT you in Connecticut. Uh, behind your time capsule and then Pete in some hotel in who knows where uh, and we haven't had a single problem getting Skype to connect now we've had problems because of my cable modem here tonight but that's uh, that's not that's not Skype's fault so all right uh, where are we here John iPhonealley.com and the related podcast is what Michael Johnston does when he's not busy converting this show into AAC for your interactive pleasure. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, and speaking of uh, interactive and new media and podcasts and all of that, next week, John, uh, we'll do a show on Monday. And then uh-huh. uh, on Wednesday, we fly to New Media Expo in Las in Vegas. Vegas, baby. That's right. No more Ontario, California. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Well, hey, it, it could be worse. Okay. And yeah. actually, we did find that mall with, uh, what was that place? Dave and uh, Buster's. That's a cool place. Uh, that's the first time I've ever been to one. I guess they're, they're big in uh, Texas, I guess you, you had some. We had one. Yeah, they're a chain. They're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, th- to me, that's a great combo. So you got arcade games, you got food, and you got alcohol. I mean, that's it's just... Right. <laughs> doesn't get go. any better. That's right. <laughs> Except it could get better. You want to know how it gets better? You go to the Dave and Buster's in Vegas instead of the Dave and Buster's in Ontario. (laughs) Yes. Right. That's right. Or the one 20 minutes from your house there. I think there's one in the Nyack Mall. Really? Yeah. It's not 20 minutes. No, I know. But, you know, relatively speaking, much simpler than getting on an airplane. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Okay, so uh, so if you're going to be at uh, New Media Expo, let us know. Maybe we'll, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll we'll do something together. We uh, Backbeat Media is sponsoring the Coverville 500 party on Friday night, so go ahead and check that out. It looks like it's going to be a, a hoot, if I, uh, if I can say that word. <laughs> 
Okay, Cashfly Hosting provides all the bandwidth for this podcast to get it from me to their servers and from their servers to you. It's a beautiful thing. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Text Expander from Smile on My Mac, and uh, Conference Recorder from Ecamm Networks. We need to tell you how to get in yeah. touch with us. I just us. realized we blew past that. I, yeah, so yep. I guess uh, the telephone is my favorite, 206-666-GEEK, which is... Uh, 4335, I believe. Excellent. Or... Okay. Uh, you can email us feedback at macgeekgab.com or you can Skype us to uh, MacGeekGab. Yeah. yeah, and look, I, I know if you if you look for us on Skype, it's not there. You just go into Skype, you type the name, and you hit enter. That'll do it. It gets there. Trust me on this. I've tried it. Uh, if you want to Skype to us, that's the way that works. Uh, if it doesn't work, let me know, and we'll we'll find the path. But I'm I'm pretty sure that's the path. You type Mac Geekab. I can't do it now because otherwise I'd hang up on John and Pete, and I'd probably get yeah, yelled at. That'd so. be rude. Yeah, it would be rude. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it's time to uh, comments. Yeah, the comments. We do. We like the iTunes comments. I like those a lot. Makes it fun. It's uh, it's yet another way for us to continue this circle of conversation that we've all got going here. So. And the circle will continue next week, Monday night. You can listen whenever, though. It's fine by us. You can even listen on Tuesday. Just make sure when you do listen, you don't get caught. Made up.